am Tamina Hayter, VP and head of Harry's Labs at Harry's Inc. What I love about beauty is it plays at this really interesting intersection of sort of consumer businesses and fashion and gives people an opportunity to express who they are as individuals every single day. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Well, Tamina, it's so great to have you on Beauty is Your Business. This is Karen Moon, and I'm here with my co-host, Abby Wallet. Hi, Kara. Great to meet you, Tamina. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Karen and Abby, for having me. So excited to be here. So excited to hear about your background and also like the work you're doing at Harry's, which is actually really taking the company to another direction and phase of its growth. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role? Of course. So my role today is I head up an organization called Harry's Labs, which is something that Jeff and Andy, the co-founders of Harry's, dreamt up. I think around 2017, 2018 timeline. But I think the inspiration behind it was this realization that it was it was a hard job to grow Harry's to the point that it was at then. And, you know, it continues to be a hard job. Growing brands is no easy thing. It's very difficult. But what they realized is that there were a lot of things that they had to do along the way, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of learnings that they had that would be applicable to a lot of the brands they saw around them that were starting a couple years after Harry's. And so really the inspiration was, how can we take what we've built at Harry's, the lessons learned, the infrastructure that we've created, and help other brands, whether that's new brands that we start ourselves or it's brands that we, external brands that we bring into the fold. And so that's really been my job, which is take that inspiration that we had and think about how do we operationalize it and how do we go execute on it. So what I do today is I spend really all of my time thinking about other opportunities for us to start new brands within Harry's. And my primary focus right now, which is, are there brands out in the world that it would make sense to bring into the Harry's fold that we can help sort of get to that next level? Do what we call, which is disrupt at scale, and for us to be the folks who really energize and make that scaling happen. That's so interesting. And so like, if we kind of scale back for people who don't know that much about the brand, to begin with, you know, Harry started less than 10 years ago, but it was really on the forefront of the digitally native brand movement and so grow to massive scale. And so when you think about the infrastructure and someone like Harry's that has grown up in digital marketing and the evolution of everything and innovation and when, you know, very few brands can get to publicly, it was almost a one and a half billion dollar acquisition that almost happened, but didn't. That's like the thing founders dream of. So I'm sure there's a lot of lessons that other founders would love to learn. Like, what are you guys looking for in a brand or a founder-led brand that you might bring into the fold? It's a great question, Karen. And I think maybe I can answer by talking a little bit about some of the things that we think are what has made Harry's unique and successful and how that kind of links into what we therefore look for in terms of other brands. And maybe it starts a little bit with what the mission is at Harry's more broadly, which is to create things people like more. Sounds simple, but it's just like, let's make things that people are happier with. 
In particular, let's do that within the CPG industry for us, because that's our focus area. If you take a step back and you think about Harry's brand, which is obviously kind of where it all started for us, it really did start with that, which is, you know, Andy going into a drugstore and being like, why are these razors so expensive? And why do I have to go get somebody to go get them? Like, that's a bad experience for me in a lot of ways. And then why are they giving me a message that just like doesn't really resonate with who I am? You know, that's just not who I am as a person and how I want to express myself. And so Harry's really started around this idea of creating a better option that was one easy to get. No more having to go find a store associate to go open up a locked box in the back aisle. A price value proposition that was really more resonant for consumers. And a brand that genuinely spoke to them in a way that they wanted to be spoken to and really honestly elevated the everyday experience for guys who used it. And then we built, you know, a really strong economic model, first on DTC and then expanded into retail. And then over time, we've really thought about further distribution expansion and really taking our Harry's brand and making it a multi-category men's grooming and personal care brand. And so I say all that because it's very informative in terms of how we think about brands we want to start or brands we want to acquire. What's really important to us is that we feel like the brand is creating things people like more. It's going and doing something that is unique and distinct for the end consumer. And then there's an opportunity to use all those resources that we built at Harry's, scaling on DTC, taking a brand that's in DTC and bringing it into retail thoughtfully in a way that's disruptive and takes what's really unique and distinct about the messaging online into a physical environment. And then thinking about how you take the core proposition of the brand, keep that consistent, but infuse it, infuse and bring similar disruptive propositions into other adjacent categories. And so we look for brands that basically have that opportunity to do all those things and where those resources that we have to do them will be kind of the unlock for the next phase of growth. So that's such an interesting model. So, And it seems to be something a lot of companies are focusing on these days where they have that infrastructure and those opportunities to really help smaller brands elevate to that next level, which is very, very smart. So when you put your deals together, I don't know if you've acquired or have done this yet with other brands, how are you looking at your structure with companies? And is it a service agreement? Are you making financial investment? What does that look like? Because it's great to share with our audience what the opportunities could be with a company like Harry's Lab. That's a great question, Abby. I can start by saying that we are focused on bringing brands really into the Harry's fold. And so our economic structure is really centered around that. It's also centered around this idea that we want to make Harry's a place where founders can come and thrive and we can have founder-led brands that are benefiting for the Harry's infrastructure, but that continue to be led by founders. And so obviously to make that happen, we think that it's really important that we offer an economic deal that sort of is attractive to founders. And what we find, my experience in the market, having been an investor, I know my background is in investing. And so, you know, I spend a lot of time on that side of the fence and then having the benefit of kind of working with Jeff and Andy to create all this who have sat on the founder side. I think what we realize is there's like sort of a binary choice in the market today if you're a founder. It feels like you can raise capital, which is a great option, means your economic upside is really high. But it does mean that a lot of the times you need to build the infrastructure on your own. Just obviously help along the way from investors, but fundamentally you're running the business on your own. Alternatively, you know, of course, at some point a founder can sell their business to a larger strategic or the like or anyone. 
it just often means it might be close to the end of the road for the founder because they tend to give up most of their economics and the business as part of that. And so what we thought about is how do we create a place and an offer that's really exciting for founders where they are going to want to stay and they can benefit from the growth of the business economically and obviously because they're passionate about the business that they're building. And so when we think about our economic structure, it's really built on that. And so what we do is we bring brands in by offering them a mix of cash and Harry's equity and making sure that amount is not static. So it grows. In our initial offer, we put forward a proposal where that economic incentive grows and is very explicitly tied to the performance of the business that the, you know, the founder or the CEO is going to lead. So we sort of think of ourselves as like, there's a really sharp curve upward if you raise capital and you're successful, but there's a lot of risk around it. There's kind of a bit more of a flat curve if you just sell your business outright. And we're playing somewhere in the middle, but there's also less risk around it because we're kind of helping you along the way so that hopefully there's less of a chance that things go awry or that there's you know more years when things are flat or down because as we all know, businesses have ups and downs along the way. Yeah, you know, it's interesting about that. You know, it seems like, from the founder side of thing, it seems like it would be one path and it's a sale. But, you know, if a company or a brand grows to a certain level, then there's always options at the end too, right? If it makes sense for the overall company. And I think we've seen this a lot at other larger brand scale, you know, it's spin outs and, you know, just like corporate structuring and, and things like that. So I guess like it still leaves opportunity depending on how it grows. So that's kind of interesting to think about. So this is super interesting. And to me, you actually have a really great background, you know, starting from consulting to Estee Lauder, and then actually several private equity firms, including Castanet, which had a really strong portfolio. We've also had Janet Gerwich on the show, and then notably L. Catterton. So, you know, it seems like you've seen several different types of companies in the consumer space across their journey, and now at different phases. Over like the last decade or so, I'm sure you've seen the evolution and the proliferation of brands. Where do you see the industry headed now that the barrier to entries are so low? And when you come across something really special, how does it really stand out? You mentioned some of it, but in context of the past and history and even some brands being revitalized, I'm just curious like what your thoughts are. Definitely. Well, I have sort of two thoughts. The first is I've done all this thing because You know, it's interesting. People pick their careers for very different reasons. They sort of have a lane, which is what they're going along. And they have a very, you know, some people are like, I'm a deal person and I love deals and deals give me a lot of energy. And what has always given me energy is consumer brands. And so like every role I've done has been in some way about consumer brands and helping them grow. Because I just think it is like a fascinating thing. And to look and understand what it is that a brand is able to create that gets people so excited. It's not just the product, as all of us on the, you know, the podcast know. There's something intangible, right? And I would say that, so a couple things. I think, one, I think the collective experience across those different areas, like being at Lauder, so a big company, highly established, then being at Castanea, where we did sort of like middle market consumer investing. Janet is so amazing, and we were so lucky to have her on the team there, and she was on the team when I was there. And then Al Catterton, where I was doing, I would say, more purely growth equity investments, so earlier stage companies. I think one thing that is true is that you look across these businesses that are trying to grow quickly, and what you realize is that they are all searching for better process and systems and sort of facing a lot of similar challenges along the way. And they're also struggling with like staying agile as they do that. That's like the consistent thing that they're trying to face and get through. What made me excited about the proposition that we're building at Harry's is that I think we're really going to 
be able to offer them that really nice mix. We always say that what we're trying to do is help brands scale with meaning, which translates into disrupting at scale. Because you sort of have this thing where like small brands have this really deep resonance with their consumer and they merely mean something to them. And oftentimes that gets diluted along the way because you grow and you have a lot of categories and all of a sudden that sort of like North Star has sort of faded, you know, it's becoming like less shiny. And our whole thing, and I think as we've tried to build Harry's has been to be very true to what the brand is with every action that we take both on like product and product promise and how we think about the bar for what we launch, but even like the fact that we have a social mission and we give 1% of revenue to the causes that match with the social missions of our respective brands. And that's a really important part of the proposition of the brand and, and the company overall. So that I think is one aspect maybe of your question. I think on the second thing in terms of like what really feels exciting and what gets us excited when we look at a brand is we are, I said it, but I'll, I'll try to make it a little bit more explicit in terms of what we do, because that might make it feel more tangible to assess whether a brand has that. We are really looking for brands that are offering something that is unique and differentiated to consumers and solving something out there that has oftentimes been like sort of unspoken in the pain point. And so we, you know, it's interesting, like a great way to figure out if a real pain point exists is if you Google on YouTube and people have like hack videos, because it means that there's a pain point actually, or like you go on Reddit and people are talking about all the things that they do. And so it sounds really sort of silly, but what we really are focused on when we look at a brand is what is it that they're delivering emotionally and functionally that is unique and distinct to their consumer? And how are they demonstrating that through the aspects of their product? And we do that really early on. So there's two things we do. One is when we're looking at any brand, we, I, should, I say we because I have an amazing team that makes this all happen. We read almost all the reviews of the brand and we try to really understand who, and we have some you know, software and data that we're able to use to understand who's coming into the brand and why and how happy are they with it. So we can sort of like understand what's driving people into this product and brand and sort of discern into what might be the pain points that they were experiencing before. And we also, while we're doing that, we have a brand strategy lens where we look at all the comms the brand is putting out into the world and we try to understand what are they saying that they stand for and what are they saying are the reasons why consumers would come to them. And then we try to figure out those are overlapped because when we find that there is a real reason why people are coming and they're talking about why they're coming and it's different and it's solving something, we see an alignment with that around the brand and how it's talking. It feels like you found something magic. I think for me, as I think about where the industry is going, there's this proliferation of brands, but there's not a lot that do that. And those to me are the brands that have real staying power. So that's kind of how we think about it, which I think is like a little bit different. Like it's, I'm sure, you know, obviously lots of folks do reviews and, and all that and reading reviews, but we find that's like such a, such a critical part of our, our diligence process. Yeah. It's such an interesting moment in time because with social and all of the things that have happened and with COVID and everyone being home, you know, so much of this content out there, a lot of it's manufactured and manipulated and a lot of it is authentic. And that's like a big, I love that you're thinking about it from that point of view, because you really need to uncover what he or she or they or whoever is talking about and what the need is and the want and what the solutions are. So I think that's really interesting that you spend a lot of your time doing that real research. And where I sit today just with my brand, it's interesting to see a community forming and people really being excited about something new and fresh in the market. How do you go about finding those new brands that you're seeking? Is it through media? Do you have a specific process? Or you, is it through 
through networking, because I'm sure so many things come across your plate, but there's so many wonderful brands out there in all parts of our country, you know, that are launching with amazing followers and women. And really, I've met so many incredible entrepreneurs. So I'm just curious, how are you sourcing those deals and bringing those types of people to the table? Well, first of all, I just want to say, comment one thing, which is I'm like so excited to see so many more female founders and female-led businesses just gets me like really energized as like a female who's worked in a male-dominated industry for a long time. So awesome to see and, you know, and to see like the way that's evolving. But, you know, first of all, I like, I would not say, I think my sourcing strategy is always evolving and I'm always like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, talk to my colleagues. Like, what is the new way you're thinking about it? Like sort of identifying brands, because it does feel like With the way that data is moving and like even like data, the ability to scrape data from the internet is changing so much. You have to be like always on your toes on what are the new ways to identify things that are growing quickly. But I think like maybe stepping back, the way we try to think about it is to do a mix of proactive and reactive sourcing. So on the proactive side, what we try to do on a basically every 12 to 18 months is take a step back, look at all the categories that are within our domain. So we focus at Harry's specifically around CPG, like I mentioned. We don't do food and beverage. So for us, that means we look at beauty, we look at personal care, look at health and wellness, look at pet care, and we look at home products, meaning home cleaning and home fragrance. So those are our domains. There's lots of categories within those broad sectors. And so we do you know, an exercise where we look at sort of the macro trends that are going on in those categories, and then more specifically things that would engender like a Harry's value add. So things like, has it been really disrupted? Or if you go to the shelf, are you still seeing a lot of the more older incumbent brands? How do people interact with this category? How do they buy in this category? Does it lend itself to an omni-channel model? Because we're about omni-channel businesses. So we use that process to kind of identify a short list of categories that are our focus. And we do a lot of proactive sourcing within those categories over the course of that period. So that's one part of our sourcing strategy. We try to get to know all the brands, even ones that are way too small for us today, because they might be the right size for us tomorrow because brands grow very quickly. And then, you know, on the flip side, we sort of try to marry that with, of course, we need to be reactive to what's in the market because at the end of the day, a transaction is only done when somebody has, there's a transaction to be done. And so, you know, that's a lot of networking to like the traditional investment bankers, to all the service providers that work with high growth DTC and consumer brands, whether that's outsourced CFO firms or all the fintech startups that are sort of thinking about new ways to finance those businesses. And then finally, and really importantly, we have an amazing team at Harry's, a big team that's growing. And so they're an amazing source of ideas and of kind of inbound. I always say to, in these types of forums, that if you're interested in Harry's Labs, you can reach out to me, but you might know someone or know someone who knows someone who works at Harry's. And that's another way to kind of get an introduction and and learn a little bit more about our company. That's great. You said you're also developing other brands, correct? So you also are not only acquiring and partnering with founders of existing brands and businesses, you're also developing your own. So from a strategic point of view, what does that look like when you're creating something from the ground up? Are you taking an omni-channel approach? Are you looking to launch your these brands as D2C like Harry's did back in the day early on? You know, that was such a disruptive business and model, and it really had a sweet spot, which was great. And I love your mission as a company. It's very inspirational. So how are you looking at that in terms of your launch pad 
so to speak? Another, just a great question and definitely a big part of my role at Harry's. So today, you know, for folks who are listening and may not know, you know, we obviously have the Harry's brand. That's part of Harry's Inc. And it's our largest brand. But we actually have three other brands in our portfolio as well, which were all created internally. Flamingo, which are, is our women's body care and hair removal brand. Cat Person, which is our cat first cat care, which offers cat foods and cat accessories. And then Headquarters, which is our sort of like hair wellness, scalp and roots first brand. And so what I would say is what's been interesting is that the process of identifying white spaces, building brands against them, and then, you know, seeing how they need to operate within the Harry's infrastructure. One has been really interesting because it's helped us figure out how will we bring new external brands into Harry's? Like, how do we work in a multi-branded way? That's been one lesson in terms of the launch pad, which is how do we think about the resources at Harry's and how these brands should plug into them? And I think we thought about it differently for different categories, like brands that are very close to the core. We think a lot about more tight integration and more tight resourcing. Brands that are a little bit further, like a cat person, we think more about where can we be consultative and where are the select areas where we want to lean in and use the Harry's infrastructure. In terms of how we launch them, what's been really exciting is we have built a bit of a process around sort of creating, I don't know what the right word is, sort of phantom brands. So if we have an idea... Uh, like, for example, before we launched Cat Person, you know, we have a lot of capabilities at Harry's. So we figured out what we were going to do. We figured out what products we thought we would launch. We weren't quite sure what price we wanted to charge. We created in like a matter of a week or two, basically, a brand, created a website. And we were able to go out there and test how much it would cost to get people to the website and how much it would cost to get people to put things into their basket. And that was really exciting. And I think that is really how we think about launching brands. We think DTC first, and we think about using the real world as a way to sort of pressure test our business model, which is really cool and exciting to do. I will say we've, we've experimented with other ways. For example, we launched headquarters that I mentioned earlier in partnership with Walmart. So it was more simultaneous, our DTC and retail launch. But that was just a really exciting opportunity where We knew that Walmart was really excited about the hair wellness space and scalp and root care, and we were too. And so, you know, we're not dogmatic, but we think in general, DTC first is how we'll think about things. And so like on the brand incubation side, that's also grown. There's so many like firms who have different approaches, even mentor studio models to celebrity led and partners. Sounds like it's pretty open. I mean, are you guys typically take pitches from early stage founders that have some unique you know, point of view or, you know, differentiation or celebrities? And is that kind of part of the mix too? Or is it typically just incubated in-house only versus like with a founder? No, it's a great question, Karen. And honestly, we're evolving our thinking on this front as there is more activity. And I think there's more and more opportunities to think creatively, because I think one thing that we know is that we at Harry's collectively and specifically we in, in labs are not going to have all the good ideas for new brands. Like that would be the most uh, delusional belief that we could have. And so we know that going out into the world and identifying where there are great opportunities is a critical part of sort of sourcing great ideas for incubation. Interestingly, I think the brands we've had, we have launched so far have, Cat Person was really inspired by one of our employees who had this idea. He fostered cats. He was like, frustrated with the experience he was having um, and feeling like nothing was made for cats and nothing was made for cat first and for people who love cats. And that was really the source of the idea behind the brand. And so we've relied a lot to this point on really our employees and what's inspired them and where they see opportunities, which is obviously an amazing source of ideas that we have. 
you know, for example, at Cat Person, that, that person's a co-founder of the brand, you know, he co-leads the team, you know, is a really important part of it. But I think as we think forward, we want to think even more expansively. And so we, we will probably, we, we entertain some of the models that you mentioned, Karen. And I think right now, because our focus is on M&A, we're sort of leaning in a bit more on that. And then when we go back to incubation and sort of start parallel pathing the two, we'll, we'll probably be more broad in our approach. I'm curious, when you're sourcing and you're thinking through these opportunities, are you focused on specific demographics? Because it seems that's, of course, an area, not funds, but different incubators. Are you focused on any specific demographics, like the cat concept, which is great? You know, there's so many verticals in beauty. There's so many directions and there's so many new things that have all of a sudden become a thing and super important, right? We didn't even know how important they were because people are problem solvers, especially being home for so long. So are you looking at like an older marketplace or does it not even matter? It's more about the idea and how you can build it in the market that exists and, and wrap your you know, self around that? We definitely lean more towards the latter. And I think what is really fun and exciting about what I get to do is, of course, we focus on CPG and we focus more on brands that would likely be, if they went into brick and mortar merchandise and the retailers that we have our deep relationships with. So Targets and Walmarts and key grocers and Costco's of the world. But we do have a pretty broad strokes. It's a pretty broad world that we're, we're operating in. Our number one focus is really is this brand offering something that's unique and distinct and that really resonates with consumers and not just functionally, but functionally and emotionally. There's a real depth of differentiation, which I want to make sure I say, like, that doesn't mean their product has to be miles away from others. That is one type of differentiation. We really view it as, you know, there's, there can be differentiation around price value. There can be differentiation around access. There can be different differentiation around ingredient composition, around the emotional positioning of a brand. It's oftentimes a, you know, an amalgamation of a few of those. So we really do focus on that. And so we think it's really important that brands have a clear sense of who their consumer is. And we are very dogmatic that that segmentation should be driven off of psychographics, not demographics. But beyond that, we're open to the different kind of psychographic groups. Well, it's so interesting. I mean, at this moment in time, so many things have changed, right? They're changed for good. And so many communities have formed within themselves just because of the nature of our world, which really creates an opportunity for, I would think, a company like Harry's Labs, right, to really see where the opportunity is. I think it's very, very exciting. Very cool stuff. Thanks, Gabby. I mean, I love it. It's really fun. And yeah, you know what's interesting, really exciting is like people are telling us all the time what they really want. I mean, there's yeah, so well, many that's communities. The like I just mentioned, like you can look on YouTube, you can look on Reddit. Like people are saying what they want. It's like our job to go make something that they love. Like the diamonds in the rough, right? Find the diamond. Tamina, just to switch gears a little bit, what are you passionate about outside of work? So many things. (laughs) Um, I think in some ways, like my work self is very much a reflection of my personal self, which is like, I'm a very, I need a lot of stimulation. (laughs) I'm a very, like a, I need lots of different sources of interest and stuff like that. So outside of work, I am very passionate about like 
restaurants and eating out. And I'm like that person who knows exactly what new restaurant opened like yesterday and the day before and is always going out and trying them. So that's a real passion of mine. It sounds a little silly, but I, I just like love exploring new cuisines. And, and it's an interesting thing because in a restaurant, a restaurant's kind of like a brand because it has like an atmosphere and an emotional impact and then there's a food. And so I just, I love that. I also am a runner and I love spending time outdoors. I spent some of the pandemic in Santa Fe where I could go hiking every day. So those are some of the things I could go on and on. What are the last few top two restaurants that are on your list or recently that you've gone to that you recommend? Oh, well, let's see. I want to go to One White Street. I have not gone yet. Um, It's very new, but I've not gone yet. Maybe I can say like, like a much more you know, neighborhood, but neighborhood spot. But I live in Chelsea. There's this restaurant here called Empire Diner, which closed during the pandemic. It's owned by the same folks who own Cafeteria. And they were focused on Cafeteria during the pandemic, which was obviously a really difficult time for a lot of restaurants. But it is one of my absolute favorite spots. They definitely know me there. I go there a ton. And so I'm very excited. They just recently reopened and built this amazing outdoor structure. So I've been back to being a regular. Oh, send me your list. I want to see what you got. I, I have not. I was just back from L.A. where I really, all I did was go to hotels. It was all about the hotel rooftop. But I haven't really been in New York all that much. So sadly, I'm ready. Let's go, Karen. Let's all have lunch or something. We need to get back in action. It's been a long time. So this has just been a fascinating interview and really to learn about the other side. I love the deal side too. It's very exciting. And there is so much opportunity right now in beauty on all verticals in so many ways. It's always great to connect to people like you and learn about your experiences. To Karen's question, you love food, but what's your take on the beauty front? Give us your, you know, your quick beauty routine. What's a day in the life? What do you do for yourself in between all of the deals and looking for other brands and products? How do you take care of you? Well, I think there are two things that I try to be very strict about with myself. One is, and it sounds so tried and true, but I try to drink a lot of water. Um, So I actually have a one gallon water bottle that I use and I try to set myself a target that I'll actually drink the whole gallon every day. It doesn't always happen, which I think like to me, I'm like, that's one of the most important things to kind of like keep your skin healthy and keep your body functioning healthy because I'm a workout every day kind of person too. Um, And the other thing is I do try to be very regular with my skincare routine. So I love to try different moisturizers and I am always trying different moisturizers, but behind them, I, you always use a vitamin C product during the day. I use my different moisturizers. I'm always, I'm always trying all the time. I always, always, always use SPF every single day. Never leave the house without it. Also wear it on the plane. Also wear it any, really any time because it's the best way to to prevent wrinkles. And I want to, you know, stay looking young And at night, I religiously use Retin-A because I do really think it's one of the ways to prevent premature aging. So to me, like regularity and like commitment to a routine is like really so important. And then the thing I'm most playful with is my hair. I've had it like really short. I've had it really long. I wear it straight. I curl it. I've been thinking about maybe doing like a little, you know, one of those color washes that everyone seems to be doing. So that's like the area that I play with the most because I just find it really fun and it kind of like... You can make yourself into a different, transform yourself into a different person when you change your hair. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and educating us about, you know, different opportunities that brands have down the line and ways to partner. So um, this was a super valuable and interesting episode. So I really appreciate your time. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And 
My only thought is, you know, I've had like a little bit of an atypical career, like all the stuff I've done. And, and you know, Abby, you mentioned to me some of the things that you've done and, and Karen yourself. And I think the big thing I usually tell folks is like, you got to do what you really enjoy because you can be good at a lot of things, but you can only be great at something that you really enjoy. So like do something you really enjoy. Like look at your calendar. Do you actually like the meetings you're going to? Like eight or nine out of 10 should be things you're excited about going to. If it's not, like go do something else because there is something else out there that will make you feel that way. So especially for founders, I think a lot of founders are the most, founders are the most courageous people in the world because they're really doing that. That's always my sort of like thing I like to tell people when they ask me if they have a piece of advice. That's great. And then what's the best way for listeners to get in touch? I think reaching out to me over LinkedIn is the best way to get in touch. And like I mentioned, the other really amazing way to get in touch is to, if you want to talk about Harry's Labs, is to see if you know someone or know someone who knows someone who works at Harry's and, and try to get a little bit more of a personal introduction. Amazing. Well, thanks again for joining us. Really love the conversation. And thank you, Abby, for doing this with me together. It's always so much fun when we're doing episodes. Yes, so much fun and great to learn about your background and your story. Very interesting. And thanks for everyone for joining us on this episode. We will see you on the next one. Hugs and kisses. This has been Beauty Is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.